0: This is prayer lesson number two, and from this point forward in our lessons, we're going to cover the different kinds of prayers. As we said, there's many different kinds of prayers the New Testament speaks of, and uh, really just to cover this in four lessons is does it a just uh, a disservice and an injustice because you could take a month and teach on just one type of prayer. We spent uh, one of our other Sunday schools and pod school lessons, we spent eight weeks just teaching on tongues. That's one type of prayer. You could easily spend months on just on intercession, or months on supplications, or months on thanksgiving. So we're just kind of giving a brief overview just to show you that there's not just one kind of prayer. Now we're always gonna just say prayer, and we're not gonna split the hairs to say, well, wait, wait brother, you said pray, specifically what kind of prayer do you mean? We're not gonna be that persnickety, just pray. But we also wanna have a working understanding of how all these different types of prayers work. And uh, I think I have this covered in our lessons, but one of the neat things you'll find is that even when you get over into the realm of praying in tongues, you'll find examples in the Bible of tongues accomplishing all the other kinds of prayer that we would do in English with our understanding. That would only make sense if all the other styles of praying are inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you get over into the into praying in the Spirit and praying in tongues, you're going to cover some of all those other kinds of praying in the Spirit. So we'll cover that in the future. I think that's lesson uh, three or four. But now we want to look at uh, diverse or different kinds of prayer, part one, and we're going to cover intercessions, travails, and groanings in this one. The travails and groanings usually freaks out non-Spirit-filled Christians because they've never seen it, and yet the New Testament talks about it. For me, I, I happen to just be naive enough that I believe that if it talks about it in the Bible, we should have the legitimate expectancy to want to see it. Amen. If the Bible talks about it, now it may not. it may not talk about it all the time, and I, I'm a firm believer in in uh, theology in that if the Bible emphasizes something a lot, you ought to see it a lot. If the Bible doesn't talk about it a lot, you shouldn't see it a lot. Like I'm thinking, for example, translation, not English translation or Spanish translation, but Philip, the evangelist, going down to, um, to preach in the, the desert way and being joined to the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch, and they come to a fountain or a pool of water, and they baptize him, and it says, and immediately when he came out of the water, Philip was taken, and he was gone, and he appeared in a Zotus. Well, that's about 30 miles away. That's what we call translator to be translated. There's only one instance of that in the New Testament. So Uh, that's maybe like a once in an apostolic or evangelistic lifetime experience. We should not look for that to happen in our lives on a regular basis. But on the other hand, the New Testament talks heavily about prayer all the time. We ought to be seeing that in our life all the time, right? Uh, The book of Acts covers approximately 25, 30 years. You might see four or five angelic appearances in 25 years of the apostles' lives. So it wouldn't surprise us if maybe once in your life you saw an angel. Once. But if you start seeing angels more than that, you're weird. And you might need to be delivered from some familiar demon that is manifesting to you. Amen. Amen. All right. So that's what I mean by if the Bible talks about it a lot, we should expect it a lot. If the Bible only mentions it in passing once or twice, then you will probably go to heaven and never see it. But you might meet somebody who has. And that's all right. One person said it this way, major on the majors and minor on the minors. And that keeps us balanced and healthy. All right. The Bible teaches and demonstrates several different kinds of prayer. And this is so critical so that we can better cooperate with all the different kinds of prayer so you can know it's happening when it's going on and you can better orchestrate it or harness it. Just like uh, we could say your tool bag has a whole bunch of different kinds of tools in it, prayer has a whole bunch of kind of prayer in it. And uh, if you know what the tool is, you know what it'll accomplish, and you'll pull out the right tool. Not that you have to say, here is my hammer. I will now begin hammering. You don't have to do that kind of pronouncement. You just say, in your heart, I need a hammer. There's my hammer. And then you go to hammering. I could use a socket wrench right now. So we don't have to always stop and say, all right, church, now let us give thanks. This is Thanksgiving. But we want to understand how it all works. The different types of prayers are defined by both the original language and the purpose Of the prayer so for example here Ephesians 6 18 in the Amplified Paul says pray at all times on every occasion in every season in the Spirit so we are to be praying in the Spirit with all manner of prayer and entreaty so to entreat the Lord notice that uh, the Amplified brings out that we're to pray at all times in on every occasion in every season of our life and uh, you got to understand your life runs in seasons. It's not always prospering season. It's not always tribulation season. It's not always promotion season. But thank God it's not always uh, the season of prison and chains and binding. Thank God there's different seasons. But no matter what season you find yourself in, we ought to be people of prayer. So prayer and entreaty. To, to that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance interceding in behalf of all the saints God's consecrated people. So even right there, you have four different types of prayer in that verse alone. You have praying in the spirit. You have prayer, which is one Greek word. You have entreaty or supplication, as the King James reads. And then you have intercession. Four types of prayer mentioned in that verse alone. Uh, We don't have any singular verse that combines all the different types of prayers. So you study the New Testament and the Old Testament as a whole, and you can develop all the different types of prayer and understand how they work. So the first thing we want to focus on is intercession. And again, we could easily spend a year teaching on intercession. There's whole college or seminary or Bible school classes on intercession. But oddly enough, intercession, especially through the 80s and 90s, intercession got to be the weirdest of all prayers. It just got to be goofy so much that pastors and ministers stayed away from it because you didn't want to be associated with goofy or weird. But intercession is a very powerful, very critical form of prayer, and we need to study it, and we're only going to be able to cover it for about 25 or so minutes. Intercession may be both the most common type of prayer, and at the same time, the least understood and even misused. It is only one type of prayer. Not all prayer is intercession, and we need to make that, emphasize that. And, And one of the things I think we'll cover here in a second is some folks still say, well, I am an intercessor. Well, it's nice to meet you. I'm an intercessor too. You know, it's not some kind of weird, spooky office. We're all called to intercede. Uh, intercede for yourself. The Holy Spirit is called an intercessor. The Lord Jesus is called an intercessor. Everybody's an intercessor. We intercede on behalf of people. Even day-to-day life, we intercede on behalf of people. We, we stop in traffic and let somebody go before us. That's Intercession. Not spiritual intercession, but you interceded traffic and you let them go. You let people cut in front of you. You prefer people. That, that's just the heart of intercession. So what we saw through the 90s, 80s and 90s is people making some kind of weird, spooky office out of it. And uh, every church ought to have people who are interceding or praying for the church. I remember they said Brother Hagin had a team of people that prayed 24-7 for him. I would assume in shifts. You need that, but it isn't always going to be intercession. And so I think we're far enough past that era the church got into for about 20 years that we can kind of reinvigorate, jumpstart this car off, though we never let it die, and begin to make more intercession. Most of the time when you pray, you're doing some kind of intercession at some point anyway. The body of Christ has taken some intercession to extremes. There's no such thing as the office of an intercessor. Every Christian is called to intercede. First Timothy 2.1 says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. There's, again, another list that includes four different types of prayer. We've underlined intercessions. He says that I want everybody, first of all, that intercessions. And he's writing to Timothy. Timothy's over a church. Therefore, Timothy's supposed to be teaching his church how to pray and how to intercede. And this gives us a list of people to be interceding for all men. So we ought to be interceding for all men as we're led, as we need to. Intercession literally means to come along, aside someone, and aid them. So it doesn't mean you have some kind of special prayer gown. I think it's just plain weird to need some kind of special garment to pray in. And, and some crazy-matic churches, they got prayer robes and prayer garbs. And I don't, maybe they borrow that from the Jews, I don't know. But I'm not a Jew, I'm a born-again white guy. That's what God made me to be, so there I am. Anybody can intercede. Children. In fact, this morning I was praying and Lydia came to my uh, little, I, have, I have, literally have a prayer, prayer closet. We have a big closet. So in the back end of my closet, I have an old little wooden desk and chair and I pray back there. And Lydia comes in and she says, Daddy, I want to play. And I think she said, I thought she said play. I said, honey, I, I don't have time. Daddy's praying right now. And then I thought, did you, then I asked, did you say play or pray? She said, pray. I want to pray. I said, all right, we can do that. So we interceded for church this morning. We prayed for the church. We came alongside the church service this morning, and I, I made her repeat after me because you don't just pray for your kids, you make them pray with you so they can learn how to pray too. So we made intercession for church. We prayed for you. We prayed that people would be blessed this morning and people be delivered, and, and we prayed for the Sunday schools, and that's intercession. We came alongside the service this morning and gave it aid, and we didn't have to have any kind of special garment on. We didn't have to have any kind of special music playing. Though there's nothing wrong with music. We didn't have to be in any kind of special place. We just prayed. And I I say all that just to say it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be spooky. There's not some kind of priestly garb or priestly robe or priestly office you have to stand in. A bulk of us intercede every day, and maybe we didn't know that's what it was called, but now we do. It means to light upon like a butterfly. And what that's a reference to is you when you're praying? Let's say I'm praying for Alan. Alan says, "Pastor, I need prayer." Maybe the Holy Spirit prompts me and brings Alan up, and and I have a burden for Alan, and I begin to pray for him. And in praying for somebody, you kind of light upon them like a butterfly. We've all seen a butterfly, you know. They'll they'll light upon a flower and maybe bat a wing once or twice. And no, that's not the flower they want. So they come back and they land over here, and they and. No, that's not the flower they want. And they kind of hover around until they find the flower they want to begin to pollinate or do what they do. Same with prayer or intercession. I'm praying for Alan. Lord, is it his business. Lord, bless his business. Lord, give him wisdom. And No, that's not it. Father, bless his mind. I give him a sharp mind. No, that's not it. And so I just start praying for everything, and all of a sudden, something grabs a hold, and it's his heart. He's afraid of something. And I begin to really pray for him and rebuke fear off of him or whatever he may be going through that I don't know about. He just said, could you pray for me? That's the other definition in the original language of intercession. We sometimes just like motorboat at top speed when we pray for people rather than taking our time to figure out what the Spirit of God is saying to us through the spirit of prayer to be able to light upon him and say, no, that's all right. But over here, this is the flower I need to rest upon. This is the flower in his life that I really need to do business on and then just bog down there. As Americans, we have to really understand that prayer is going to require a time investment. And uh, our society makes sure we never have that extra time to invest. We have to rebuke that and denounce that and say, no, no, I'm going to make time, and I just trust that my God can make up my time the rest of the day if I spent 30, 40, 50 minutes or an hour in his presence praying for his people. He can redeem the time for me, and the rest of the day I get everything else done. But we're all the same. We all, the, our mind tells us we don't have time to pray. i got too many things to do. Really, all the things we do has our life really accomplished much today. But how much could we have accomplished in prayer that day if we'd spent 30 minutes lighting upon something, and then bearing down. It also means uh, intercession can be best described as standing in the gap for someone, like Ezekiel 22 describes. The gap refers to a hole in someone's defenses or wall, allowing destruction, judgment, calamity, or harm to take place. That's the best example, or one of the most beautiful examples we see of it in the entire Old Testament, though there's lots of examples of intercession, but standing in the gap. That was a famous movement in the 90s with uh, promise keepers, stand in the gap. And the Lord is still looking for people to stand in the gap. But I understand how the error of the office of intercessor arose because even as the Lord said, I looked for a man to stand in the gap and I found no one. Well, what if he finds two or three people in a community that will slow down and they will listen to the Lord? And they will give the Lord an hour of their time. The Lord, like anything in science, he's gonna direct all the prayer requests to that person who's listening. And that person will find themselves heavily used of God to where they might feel like there's something special. But all they really are is just a more yielded vessel. It's it's like any kind of checkout line. Whichever one's moving the quickest is the one everybody wants to get in. And whoever's praying the most, the Lord's gonna give them the most prayer jobs. Or prayer assignments. But if we would all bear the burden, if we would all stop, we could all be given over to intercession. Imagine if everybody was in line to stand in a gap somewhere. There would be no gaps. Oddly or sadly enough, let's read this verse here, Ezekiel 22, 30. And I sought a man among them, just one. He didn't need a prayer team. He didn't ask for a congregation. A man, singular. That should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it but I found none so what happened this is Ezekiel this is all past tense Ezekiel's prophesying from captivity so what happened nobody stood in the gap the Lord destroyed the land all it needed was one man to plug the hole we have to be willing as Christians to say Lord let me be that man you give me the prayer requests I I remember years ago meeting a man and I uh I was young in the Lord, but I could tell he, he walked with God. So I asked him, what, what office are you called to? You know, because I was kind of in the whole office thing, you know, five-fold ministry office. Yeah, it was kind of my emphasis at the time. He said, I'm not called to full-time ministry. I said, well, it's evident you walk with God. He said, I, I have what you might call a very colorful prayer life. I said, so what does that mean? I was 20. And he said, um, he, he was a bricklayer. He said, well, what that means is when I get off work here at four o'clock, I'll get something to eat. I'll take a shower and I'll go to my room and pray. And I'll probably spend four hours tonight praying. I said, for what? He said, whoever the Lord chose me. I said, what do you mean? He, he said, well, I've just, I've just developed a prayer life. And he said, I'll get in prayer, I'll pray in the Spirit, I'll worship the Lord, and the Lord will start reminding people to pray for. And I'll pray for them 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes Till the Lord shows me somebody else. He just shows me people's faces, and, he, and I know by the Spirit, that's a missionary in China. That's a person, that's a pastor in Texas. He said, I do that four or five hours every night. And I remember sitting there going, it really, this is the first time I realized I had the epiphany that... Everybody in the kingdom is used of God a little bit differently to accomplish what God wants Because I've prayed for four or five hours at a time before but I don't do it every night and I haven't done it a long time But this guy his testimony this has been 20 years ago now he did it every night and and I believe it Hey, but he had developed that that's intercession standing in the gap for people people he didn't even know I would hate to think it's because maybe people around those missionaries in China didn't have anybody praying for him. Or the pastor in Texas didn't have anybody in his whole church praying for him. So the Lord went to somebody in Crossville, Tennessee, who was a bricklayer. Church of God guy, actually. Bricklayer and interceded like that. He wasn't spooky. He wasn't weird. He wasn't having the herky jerks talking to me. He was a dirty, sweaty bricklayer. Clean cut guy, but dirty because he would laid brick all day on this job site we are on. But that's just what he was very humble about it. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't weird. He was just matter of fact about it. That's intercession. We could all probably develop that if we wanted to, if we'd be willing to give it the time. The problem with that is you don't get attention. That's what really hurts a lot of American Christians. They don't want to do something unless they get recognition for it. But I think that guy, when he gets to heaven, he'll get more than enough recognition. I think there'll be a long line of people who the Spirit of God reveals to. That guy there prayed for you for 15 years. He'll have a long line of people saying, thank you. I I could have never done it without you. But that's maybe what we fight. We want the recognition. Now, I want to do the upfront job. I don't want to do the job on my knees in my closet when nobody sees. But then again, the Bible does say the Lord sees in private and he rewards openly. Amen. All right, God is looking for us to intercede on behalf of someone so his will can be done in their life. This, to me, this is so beautiful, that intercession is such a critical thing. It shows us God's desire to bless people despite their own foolishness and sin. Why does he want us to stand in the gap? Because someone has blown something up and made a gaping hole in their life. And he doesn't want to give them what they deserve, which is judgment. And so he moves upon Jeff to pray for Will when Will has purposely blown up his life to me the fact that the Lord moves upon us for intercession it really screams of his mercy and his compassion his desire to overlook righteous judgment and give us godly mercy and grace that's very encouraging to me and if you realize we all need intercession and we all reap what we sow we'd probably be doing a lot more interceding for each other instead of looking down our noses at each other's holes instead of driving past will and saying look at all those holes what an idiot (laughs) Well, you reap what you sow, and you have no idea how many explosives you've planted along the hull of your ship. And uh, what you all do is go past his ship and say, Lord, have mercy. I, I cover that with the blood of Jesus. Lord, do I need to stop here? Let me just stop my boat at the side of his ship and just pray. Is there anything I can contribute to his life rather than just criticism? Can I just pray for him? Father, I plead the blood. Whatever he's doing to mess his life up, may he stop. Lord, do you want me to pray anything else? And take your time and because you reap what you sow, right? we believe that that's biblical. It ain't karma before there was a fat Buddha, there was a God Almighty. God Almighty's still alive. Buddha's burning in hell, and because he was fat, I think he's dripping like fat on the grill. you know <laughs> no lotus position saving him down there. I think he's writhing on hot coals like a worm. This shows God's desire to bless people despite their own foolishness and sin thank God intercession, thank God people intercede for us. I'm convinced only heaven will reveal how many people are actually praying for us to get us through life. I would say most of us probably don't pray for us as much as other people pray for us. It'd do us good to pray for us more. I remember Pastor Vaughn saying one time, he said 90% of his time in prayer was spent keeping his life right. It's a lot of time in prayer just fixing. Of course, he was a pastor and a leader, so he had to do a lot of praying for himself, but We could all afford to pray for ourselves more and yet also pray for others. Their sin deserves judgment, but God is still looking to bless and help them. The Spirit of God will often lead us to intercede for someone. And let me add this. You don't have to be spooky led by the Spirit to intercede for somebody. You can just see a need and just pray for them. Uh, I was driving into town yesterday, and of course I live out Hillham Highway And it's curvy and crazy. And honestly, as much as I rip on Overton County people driving five miles an hour slower than their IQ, they actually keep that highway safe because they drive five miles an hour slower than their IQ usually. Yesterday, I was miserable. Somebody's doing between 30 and 35. I usually do about 60 on that road. It was was a forced diet of the fruit of patience and self-control and love and peace, and gentleness, and goodness, and meekness. Basically, I got a crash course. It's like a buffet of all nine fruit of the Spirit, and I didn't want it. Uh, Anyway, so I was driving down, and people, you know, they have farms out there, and there was a guy cutting his grass right there on the side of the road and coming into oncoming traffic, and I just drove past him and said, Lord, keep that guy safe. That's intercession. It took two seconds, and I did it just because I don't want to see that guy killed. I know how people drive on that road because I'm one of them and i I'm, I'm a good driver, but I drive fast and you know so you make intercession, Lord, keep that guy safe, or I see kids walk down that road all the time come from the high school, Lord, let them get home safe. It doesn't have to be so I mean, there's a place for that when it's really God, but most of the time it probably isn't really, or God. <laughs> Amen. The Spirit of God will often lead us to intercede, but I might add we don't always have to be led. Just see a need and pray for it. Intercession changes the course of life for people. It helps them to not reap what they have sown. That's critical. Intercession helps us to not reap some of the things we've sown that we probably deserve to reap. That's why it's always good to intercede for yourself and curse some of your own harvest field. In some instance, intercession even stays and postpones the judgment of God. That's really cool, too. We intercede for this nation to postpone the judgment. But here's the thing. You can't stop it, the judgment. It is going to come. I'm I'm thinking now of Hezekiah. He repented and made intercession for himself, and it postponed his life another 15 years and even the judgment that was going to come upon Israel and Judah. And he said, praise God, I won't see it in my lifetime. But it was going to come anyway because he couldn't change the whole nation. He just postponed the judgment. So let's look at some biblical examples of intercession because this isn't just a New Testament thing. And also because we are charismatics and we kind of border into crazy-matica sometimes, it's always good to point out how non-weird this intercession was. We're all about being spirit-led because we are a spirit-filled church and we operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But sometimes we get into a role of fakery to make it look more spiritual. It doesn't have to be spooky to be spiritual, and it doesn't have to be spectacular to be effective. It can just be matter-of-fact. So look here, our first biblical example. Abram prayed to God on behalf of King Abimelech for healing. It doesn't say he had the Pentecostal jerks and foamed at the mouth and rolled around and groaned and made intercession. He just said, in fact, the Lord told Abimelech, have this prophet Abram pray for you. And the Bible says, and, and Abram prayed for Abimelech and God healed him and his household and his maidservants bore children. He didn't say it was anything weird. He just prayed for him. Lord, heal this king. Heal his household. Please, I ask it. Nothing weird or spooky. Just made intercession. Made intercession because the king requested it. Not because he was even led, but because the king was told by God. Go ask this man. If he'll pray for you, you'll be healed. Look at Abraham prayed to God on behalf of Lot and his family to spare them from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that story. He said, Lord, uh, 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 pardon me, Lord, perhaps if there were 50 righteous, would you postpone? Would you stop the judgment? Yes, if there were 50. Lord, forgive thy servant. If there were um, 40 righteous, would you, uh, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? No, if there were only if there were forty, I would not. Lord, have mercy, and, and let not your anger be kindled at thy servant. What if there were ten? You see, it's intercession. It doesn't even sound like confident intercession. He keeps kind of dropping the number because you know what he's thinking of. How many are in Lot's family? There's Lot. There's his wife. Let's see, last I heard, he had three kids. They were all married. That's eight. Maybe there are some kids in there. So he gets down to ten. But evidently, there weren't even 10 righteous. As only four came out, one died on the way out of town, and the other two were sexual deviants. In the end, only, the Bible only calls one righteous, and that was just or holy lot. And so the Lord kept his word, but Abram's number didn't get low enough. <laughs> so intercession, but it wasn't Spooky. Moses interceded numerous times on behalf of Israel to avert their destruction. That wasn't spiritual, or excuse me, it was spiritual, it wasn't spooky. It was the Lord, he was arguing with the Lord. I won't say arguing, he was debating with the Lord. He uh, he said, Lord, if you do this, all the nations will say of you, you brought them out of Egypt only to destroy them in the wilderness. That was intercession. He was pleading a case. It wasn't the herky-jerkies. But we'll get into the herky-jerkies here before this lesson's over. Moses interceded for Miriam and her leprosy. Very simple intercession. Lord, forgive her, heal her leprosy. And the Lord said, fine, put her outside the camp seven days. Let her bear her shame. It was intercession, and it didn't take a long time either. God sought for a man to stand in the gap for Israel and could find none. Just one man to say, Lord, have mercy on Israel. He could find no one. Jeremiah tried to intercede for Israel to turn away God's wrath. Jeremiah was not successful. That's why Ezekiel ended up prophesying from captivity. The order of your major prophets is Isaiah came first. He he postponed judgment. Jeremiah came. He tried to postpone it some more. He could not, so he prophesied the last half from Egypt as a slave, and then Ezekiel prophesied from Shushan from Persia as a slave. So your major prophets go forward in time, and Israel just falls under more and more judgment. King David interceded on behalf of Israel during judgment. So he said, "Lord, and this is when he numbered the troops." He said, "Lord, don't hold this to your sheep's account. They're innocent. This is my fault." Take this out on me. And by the time he was done making intercession, I think it said 50,000 were dead. Yeah. <laughs> you ought to pray fast. <laughs> King David interceded for the life of his child, the illegitimate one by Bathsheba. And he said, who, who knows if the Lord will have mercy? But I'm not going to stop praying until I know one way or the other. And when the child was dead, he said, I guess I couldn't find mercy. And he got up, washed his face, went to the house of God and worshipped. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us, which is so cool because the Holy Spirit is an intercessor. He makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And in doing so, he prays out the will of God for our lives. I think that's perhaps one of my most favorite New Testament verses or passages because it talks about the entire Trinity involved in the Holy Spirit interceding for us through our own mouth. And the Holy Spirit prays for us or intercedes for us with groanings because he that knows the hearts of man which is the Lord, knows what is the mind of the Spirit and maketh intercession for us according to the will of God. There in verse 27, you have Spirit, Son, and Father, and they all work together for us to intercede for ourselves through the Holy Ghost. And I've often joked, how messed up are we as New Testament Christians walking through life that we have to have the entire Trinity working on our behalf to preserve us? And you think, and you and I think we're self-made and we're good enough. When verse 26 and 27 says, "Uh, yeah, you're good enough because what you don't see behind the scenes is all the fullness of the Godhead working on your behalf every moment of the day. (laughs) Amen. So with those groanings, it transitions us into the next type of prayers we want to cover. This one does get a little spooky. This one, if you've ever seen it, is a little creepy if you're not used to it. But one thing I find, things are creepy because you've never been around them, right? Things are icky because, they're just, because you're just, they're just foreign to you. Think about farm people who, you know, just butcher their own chickens. You know, we have a whole generation of folks that don't even know where meat comes from. You have to teach children that that hamburger you're eating came from the cow in the backyard. How? Did the cow make it? No, the cow is it. Well, how does that work? Or that chicken breast. What do you think a chicken breast is? It's the muscle that comes off the breast of a chicken. If you really think about it, in a sense, you know, we're carnivores. We're well, not in a sense. We are carnivores. We eat the meat of other animals. That's kind of gross and icky. But we don't think about it. We just disconnect and go on. When we were in Nigeria, I got to see my first ever chicken beheaded, which I thought was awesome, when we filmed it. And I'd always heard about chickens running with their heads cut off. Well, they step on the chicken, so it can't do that. But they did toss the heads aside, and those heads kept talking for a good three or four minutes after the heads and It was like, meh, for a good three or four minutes. And the blood's squirting, and the feathers, and they're standing on it, The legs are kicking, and the, the neck is still convulsing for a long time. That's gross to me, yet fascinating at the same time. To them, it's nothing. Anything in life is weird and uncomfortable until you're familiar with it, right? Some folks say they don't know God enough, so he's uncomfortable to them. Uh, Even when I I worked in the zinc mine, to go underground was not foreign to me because I've caved for a long time. When we, when we worked at the zinc mine, there are folks that would come in all excited because the mine pays a lot of money because it's, it's dangerous work and they get one day underground and they say, there ain't no way I'm working here the rest of my life and they quit the same day they get hired. One time I worked with a, one of the boys at the zinc mine. He was from low coal country. In coal mining, you have low coal and high coal depending on what the seam coal seam is. So low coal is you know a seam of two or three feet. So that's your work passage all day. And so I asked him, uh, he said, I, I he said I don't go underground here. I said, why not? It's hard rock. You got hard rock mining and soft rock mining, soft rock being coal. I said, it's hard rock. It's perfectly safe. He said, passages, are, the drift's too big. I said, too big? You can drive trucks in it." He said, that's the problem. I said, where do you come from? He said, low coal. So then I got a lesson in low coal. I said, what's that like? He said, you work on your side all day. And I said, where do you use the bathroom? He said, not where you work. He would refuse to go down because it was too big and too open. It was too uncomfortable for him because he was used to something different. I say all that to say, we can use countless examples, groanings are spooky till you've been around it enough. Then you realize it's just God. It's just, it's just part of praying in the Spirit. It's one of the jobs the Bible specifically says is the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. One interesting aspect of intercession are groanings in the Spirit. This is a biblical experience and can accompany prayer at times. We've had a little bit of it here, not so much in the last couple years, but if if the Spirit of God so moves, I've been in services where you might have five or ten people in a service groaning. Just like it sounds, groaning in the Spirit, wailing. Wailing. And if you're, if you're from a church that doesn't let the Holy Spirit move or you've never been around it, it will flat freak you out. Because you've never done it, right? But the more you do something, the more comfortable you become with it. I can totally understand how, again, I was raised Baptist where the Holy Spirit is on a chain. He's on a leash. And I don't mean that I do mean in a negative sense, and not all Baptists are that way, but most of them are. They allow the Holy Spirit to move five feet in front of them. All right, now that's just been my experience, and I love the Baptists, but that's just my experience. Maybe I should have said denominational church. When you're used to the Holy Spirit being on a leash, and you come to a church where he's free to do as much as you know he can do, and, and the spirit, you come into a spirit-filled service. Not every service is spirit-filled with the full manifestation like that. But you come into that, it can make you very uncomfortable. And I totally understand why a denominational Christian might come into a Pentecostal or a charismatic church and say, that's a cult or that's the devil. Well, tell me, which is the devil, putting the Holy Spirit on a leash or letting him run free? It's all in perspective and experience. This is a biblical experience, groanings and travailings, and can accompany prayer at times. It can often scare those who are unfamiliar with these experiences. Now, let me show you how biblical it is here. In John 11, Jesus groaned within himself on at least two occasions. I'm sure if you stood next to him, it says he groaned within himself, but I've groaned within myself in prayer. It can't help but kind of come out going, "Mm." it just just, comes out, it's guttural. The Bible's very clear on that. And somebody say, well, I heard a demon growl one time. Yeah, and I see Muslims pray. Does that mean Christian prayer is demonic? I mean, what's, what's your point? Well, well, Satanists make animal sacrifices. So do the Jews. Is that, does that make it demonic? Well, come on. Just because a demon growls doesn't mean you have one when you growl by the Holy Spirit. Does that mean Jesus had a demon when he groaned? We got to use a little bit more common sense than this. Paul was stirred, which the Greek says he was provoked or angered in his spirit. And it kind of has this indicative groaning within himself when he saw Mars Hill or Athens wholly given over to idolatry. Paul was pressed or urged or compelled. These these, These are terms that refer to groanings and travailings in the spirit. He was compelled in his spirit to evangelize the Jews. There was something guttural in him, deep, that was just propelling him. The Holy Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. There there again, it says that there's a groaning. It, there's no, one translation says it's a groaning that has no, in our, has no articulate speech to it. Uh, there's been times I've been so grieved in the Spirit, I didn't know what was going on. And I just sat there and just groaned, just... And and it happens sometimes even just pastoring or preaching. The Spirit of God is grieved and you can feel that. And if you were to kind of give wind to it, it would come out. "Mm," Because the Spirit of God is grieved. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think we've all experienced that at some point or another. Now, if you're there all the time, maybe it's you that makes the Holy Spirit upset. But I've been around folks, helped folks, counseled folks. And they come and their life is grieving the Holy Ghost. And because they come to my domain for help i the holy spirit allows me to feel that or i pick up what the spirit of god is saying which is just a groaning an intercession what's what's that he's trying to intercede for their foolishness their stupidity paul travailed in birth this is one of my favorite verses on this subject in galatians 419 he travailed in birth until christ was formed in the galatian believers again well, you ever been in labor room? <laughs> there's a lot of groaning, travailing, yelling. You have some nurses, there's a lot of cussing too. It depends on uh, who's giving birth. I, I'd hate to see a pagan give labor or give birth because what's in them is going to come out of them, which is usually filth and foul. They had backslid, the Galatian believers had backslidden, backslid by keeping the Mosaic law, and Paul had to intercede for them to get right. And he called that till Christ was formed in them again, not in their spirit, but in their life, their heart. Their heart had left the principles of grace in the New Testament to go back and seek righteousness through Mosaic law or through the ceremonial law. So he's groaning and travailing in birth again. It's a prayer thing till Christ be formed in them again, not born again again, but their hearts had left the truth that they had walked in. Paul described this kind of prayer as travailing in birth. We understand it's a painful process, but it brings forth something in the end. So here's some intercession scenarios. We can intercede for an an individual's salvation from both hell and natural destruction. I would hope every one of us has testimonies of that. Interceding for a loved one to be born again or a co-worker or a, a friend, and you're just interceding. You don't even have to feel led by the Spirit of God to intercede that someone be born again. We say this way a lot, Lord, give us more college kids. Lord, give us the Muslims. That's intercession, Lord. Lord, give us give us the hurting folks. Give us some homosexuals who are hungry for truth. That's intercession. And you don't have to feel led to pray that way. Then, then you might say, Lord, give me a prayer assignment. Give me someone to set my faith on, and then that becomes your assignment, and you pray for them every day. That's intercession. Or you see a loved one or someone going through something, and you intercede for their deliverance from the hurt, from the calamity, from the destruction. That's intercession. We can intercede for an individual's healing, even your own, inter, your own healing. That's intercession. You're praying to make that healing come to pass. You pray for your child. I find you pray for your children more than you pray for yourself because you want better for them than you even do your own self. And then you just have to remember that God is your father and he wants better for you than you do makes it a little bit easier to receive things. We can intercede for our, uh, our, an individual's decision-making and mental faculties. If Mr. Greg has some decisions to make, he says, Pastor, pray for me. That's instant intercession. Lord, I pray that you give him favor. He has the best wisdom. He walks this thing out accurately. Lord, let him, let him get where he needs to be. That's intercession. It doesn't always have to be from the pit of hell. It doesn't always have to be from calamity. It can be for promotion. You just make intercession on behalf of somebody. You stand in their gap and pray that the Holy Spirit help them.